Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. Hello, it's Felicia Gopal here for the College Expert Talk podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us and welcome you to today's podcast. When I was a student in grade school, I was one of those students that could get great grades without a whole lot of effort. Most subjects were really easy to me and didn't require a whole lot of my time and effort. And that was until I reached college. In college, I realized that the way that I had been studying and learning was not getting me the grades that I was used to. For the first time, I was receiving C's and the occasional D. And let me tell you, for a straight A student, this was a little bit traumatizing. It was traumatizing for me, and I know it was traumatizing for my parents. You know, as we kind of fast forward and look at being a mother now, I found that um, one of my daughters was really struggling with reading, and I really didn't have the skills to help her. You know, the things that I was doing, like yelling at her, bribing her, you know, applying the old techniques that I had learned, really weren't working for her. And if I didn't find a solution, what I was finding is that I was having a student that was struggling, that I thought would be struggling during her entire school career, and I found her really frustrated. In addition to that, she was starting to have that self talk about herself being really dumb and she was also starting to give up and you know this was completely completely unacceptable to me so I met today's guest at an internet meeting and was fascinated by her business because she was doing exactly what I was looking for in terms of help for my daughter I didn't know it at the time however reviewing her website showed me that her business would be invaluable to my daughter and all the students I work with who aspire to go to college and And she would have been really great for me to have known when I was going to college because she could have helped me develop the study skills that I I needed in order to have success in the first two years of my college. My special guest is Susan Kruger, who is the author of Study Skills. She was a struggling student like my daughter, whose grades didn't reflect the work that she was putting in. Susan's life changed when she learned how to apply strategies to her schoolwork. Her grade skyrocketed to a 3.9 and she was able to reach the grades that she was happy with in much less time than it took to get the mediocre grades that she had gotten all through elementary, middle, and high school. Susan, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the call. Well, thank you, Felicia. I'm really pleased to be here. Great. So let me just start with what are study skills and why are they important? 
Well, you know, if you were to Google study skills, you'll find a few million different results will come up and every page just about will have a slightly different slant on what they view study skills to be. Some people view them as you know, using guide words to find definitions in a dictionary. But my definition of study skills are strategies that students can use to make learning more effective and more efficient for them. Mm. So why is that important? Well, it's important because students do not apply the concept of strategy to learning or to anything in school, yet they're very familiar with it. You know, they know about using strategies to play sports, to play video games. They certainly know how to use strategies to manipulate parents into getting what they want because we've we've all done that, right? Yes. Um, But they don't apply that same concept of strategy to learning. They have been taught since elementary school or maybe even earlier than that, that, you know, they mimic what they see. So reading is a process of staring at a book. And they, they tend to extrapolate that into thinking that learning is about rehearsing and memorizing. But there's never any specific instruction provided to students on how to use strategy to take what they're learning and kick their brain into high gear, which makes learning much more interesting and also makes it go much more quickly. So, you know, again, they like strategies. That's why they play sports. That's why they play video games. But we can actually make school I'm not saying, I'm not going to say school will be fun, but we can certainly make it much more engaging for students if we can teach them how they can kick their brain up into that same level of challenge that they use. And I mean, not difficult challenge, but engaging challenge that they use when they're playing sports and video games and other things of that nature. Take me back to why this became important to you and how you got into this. Well, much like you, my exposure to study skills happened because of college, but I actually have sort of the flip experience of what you described because I always struggled through school. K through 12 was a massive challenge for me. And, you know, college in my family was not optional. We were expected to go to college and I had this growing fear that I was not going to make it through college because as I started into the college planning process and and looking for schools and, you know, trying to figure out that next phase of my life, I was hearing stories about how you should plan to spend two or three times more hours studying and how much more effort it was going to be. And that had me concerned because I didn't really feel like I could put much more effort into school than what I had already done to have mediocre grades in high school. So somehow I just had this sense that there had to be a better way. And, you know, I have to believe this is some divine intervention. But I started seeking out some resources on preparing for college. And that came in the form of a book and then a resource on campus and just a variety of things. And I learned a whole bunch of strategies. But one thing I found is they all seemed really complex to me. I was confused about when to use some of them. So my implementation of what I learned was... In my opinion, I thought I was cheating. I just picked some things that I remembered. So here I am starting off class as a freshman, and there was a reading strategy I had read about. So I tried what I remembered from that strategy. You know, instead of the six steps that they shared, I only remembered two or three. But basically, these little things that I had picked up, the things that were memorable for me, were the things I tried. And to my great surprise, I went from struggling in high school to getting a 3.9 in college, as you had shared in the intro. And what also was significant about that is it was easier than my struggles through high school. So 
this is what I want for all students is I want them to discover that when you apply strategy to learning, you can get better grades and you can get it in less time with less hassle or aggravation. Whether you are struggling or whether you're doing well, you can benefit from applying strategy to managing school. Perfect. So what I'm hearing and I'm excited about is that rather than yelling and bribing and all the things that I've been doing with my daughter, I could really just use strategies in helping her uh, learn. And I think that that's one of the things that has made the difference because when we first started my daughter's school year, what we ended up doing is she was in the lowest reading group. And so I was finding that what I was doing wasn't working and it was making us both pretty miserable. You know, I was mm-hmm, frustrated mm-hmm. and she was frustrated. So I ended up going to a tutoring center and hiring a tutor to basically work with her. I figured it would take the angst out of it because mm-hmm. she's working with somebody else as well as they would have strategies that I might not have in terms of helping her become a better reader. And in the first First three months of uh, working with this person, she's been able to move from the lowest reading group to the middle reading group. And her teacher was just like saying, well, I'm moving her up, but if she needs to be moved back down to the other one, we'll do that. Well, she never had to be moved back down. And of course, the other thing is there was another tutoring program that I had had her try. She didn't, she just didn't like it. I think they were even more authoritative than I was, you right. know, and it's just like, they were just like, just read, read more, you know, type right, of stuff. Right, and right. it just wasn't working for her. So I could see how strategies would make a difference. So how do students develop good study skills? Well, and you know, if I can, if I can address your question about developing study skills by backing up just a minute because you hit on something that's really important, is there are very simple strategies that parents can teach their students. But like you said, there is some angst when there's the parent-child you know, relationship working. And you described how the two of you were getting more and more frustrated. And so for any parent who's listening to this, if that's where they are right now with their child, which, by the way, is so much more common than parents realize. I think every parent encounters that to some level, and there are a large percentage of parents who feel that angst on a regular basis. My experience is parents often feel like they're doing something wrong. This is not a situation that parents often talk about openly around other parents at school or even with teachers because part of them that they might not even be conscious of, but there's this part of them thinking that they're doing something wrong. So I first of all just want to say that is extremely common to have that angst going over homework and schoolwork. So before teaching strategies, no matter how simple or how, yeah, just how easy it can be, it's important that the relationship is reset. And there's a simple way to do that. First of all, I encourage parents to just have an open conversation with their child about why the frustration has been building. You know, you as a parent, why do you want your child to be successful in school? Why is this a high priority for you? You know, just share that in a, in a very, you know, professional level conversation, you know, treating your child as a little bit of an equal here because they deserve to hear from you exactly why you've been putting that pressure on them, that it's out of love, it's out of care and concern for their future. They don't always internalize that. You know, they, they might even know it's true to a certain degree, but it doesn't take away that, that feeling of aggravation and irritation with you. <laughs> so, so having that open conversation is helpful. And then the other thing I have found to be very, very helpful when approaching students with study skills is to ensure that 
you shared this with them. And this is what I tell them. This is how I get my students to warm up to me. And please keep in mind, anytime I'm working with students, well over 80% of them did not want to be there with me to begin with. You know, they're there because a parent or another teacher made them come work with me. Okay. So I deal with this all the time. And I always say to them, look, I know that you don't want more homework. You don't want me to tell you that you need to study longer. What I want to do is I want to teach you how to get better grades in less time so that you can make time for the things that really energize you and excite you. If you want to play sports, I want you to have time for sports. But you also need to be successful in school. So we're going to learn how we can fit this in around the things that bring excitement and joy to your life too. That's an important element that they understand. This is not about replacing their joy and eliminating their free time. It's about enhancing it for them. And if you can approach them from that perspective, they will be much more open to hearing what you have to say. I can see that. Yeah. Otherwise, the parent-child nag fest. (laughs) Right. And even then, would I even do with my own child? Because, you know, even with all of my expertise, there is always that angst between a parent and child. So I have actually hired high school and college students. I usually aim for students who are juniors in high school through juniors in college, or really the ideal age. And I will have them work with my son. And I've actually had them take some of uh, the resources from my study skills program and said, you know, would you please read this? And now I'd like you to apply this when working with my child because he'll, he'll hear it better from them than he will from me. (laughs) No, I, I completely understand that. So what sorts of problems will I see in my child if she didn't have good study skills? It'll be the types of things like, it's a variety of things. They might be working really hard to prepare for a test and then they get a disappointing grade on the test. And that might be a B when they feel like they really should have gotten an A. Or, you know, it might be a failing grade. But it's when they feel like the effort isn't matching the results. It can also be when there isn't effort. When you see that your child has just lost the motivation, typically that's because they've been trying. And this is very common, by the way. There's no child who ever goes into school wanting to be unsuccessful. But they will learn after a while if they get a lot of negative feedback or if they're told over and over again that they need to try harder. Typically, when someone says they need to try harder, it's a real, you know, like a a punch in the gut to these kids because they are trying really hard. And when someone says try harder, it feels so defeating to them because they think, I don't know what else to do. Right. So that will often put them in a position of putting no effort in. It's when you go to parent-teacher conferences and learn that your child is missing assignments. Oftentimes, parents will say, I saw him do that assignment. Why didn't it make it back? You know, if homework causes any kind of strife in your family, there's room to learn study skills. Okay. So what about the opposite situation where the student really is already getting good grades? How would a student like that, which would have been me in elementary school, in middle school, in high school, how would I benefit from learning study skills? Well, you're an excellent example. And you pointed out before we went live on the call that you never would have thought about students getting good grades benefiting from study skills. But you have an excellent question. They can dramatically reduce the amount of time they spend on schoolwork. Having a system, learning a system for learning and organizing their information and materials can reduce tremendous amount of strain on their brain, which they might not perceive as being a challenge right now. But 
But also once they get systems in place, they find they're more freed up for other things that are interesting to them. They find that even though they were coping, the results were okay, they might have been developing a lot of anxiety to get those results. And ultimately, I'll tell you, most of the students I know from my high school class who had top grades, you know, magna and summa cum laude's and so on, went on to college and found they really struggled. And that's a very common experience. So what we want is we want our students to have the strategies to release some of their anxiety now, even though they might be getting straight A's. Let's make it just easier for them. And then then they have the pathway to go right on to college and be just as successful without having that difficult transition. Got it. So could you give me, you know, I mean, certainly I know that you've got resources, but could you just give me a for instance for somebody who was struggling and a for instance in terms of a strategy for somebody who was struggling, what might you put in place? Or for somebody who was doing well already, what might you would put in place to just give some flesh to it? Because I think it's a little, you know, it sounds like, okay, that sounds like a good thing to do. But I think sometimes people just need to hear an example. Sure. Well, the first thing I do for every child, and this is built into our program, according to the theory of multiple intelligences by Howard Gardner, there's at least eight different realms of intelligence. So we like to figure out for each individual what area of intelligence or areas, usually there's two or three that are really high for them, you know, do they really have an interest in and really excel with? And we do that just to figure out what it is that will get them excited about school and what angle we want to take for the strategies we use moving forward. That Just to personalize it a little bit. But then when we're looking specifically at study skills, we always start off by looking at their organization. Do they have an efficient and effective system in place for organizing their papers, keeping track of their notebooks, and also using a planner? And if they don't, regardless of what their grades are, we will put a system in place for that. Okay. Our focus is on removing as many steps from the process as possible. So let me give you an example. I teach a system that we call the SOAR binder system. It's rather simple. There's some specific ways to use it, but the actual materials for it are very simple. And we have figured out on average, if a child is sitting in class and a teacher passes out an assignment, it will require 23 different actions on average for that student to grab the paper from the teacher and dig through their bag to find the folder for that class, take out the folder, open it up, put the paper in, you know, all that. The whole process of getting that paper in the right place is about 23 steps. If you factor in that most students, when they're managing papers, whether they're at school or at home, in almost all settings, they're feeling some sense of urgency. Like the bell's about to ring, they have to get on to class, or it's the end of the day as they're getting things from their locker, they have to run to catch the bus, or they're at home and they're doing homework and they just don't want to be doing it, they want to be done. So they're always feeling this sense of rush. And if you've got to go through 23 different actions to put something away properly, there's a very good chance that you're either going to get interrupted before you get through all 23 steps, or you're just going to lose the interest in doing it and it's going to become easier to shove the paper in the bag where it's going to get lost. So we teach a system where we put all the folders and notebooks for every class into one simple binder, no bigger than one and a half inches in diameter. And with that binder in place, when they follow the steps in the system that we share with them, when they get a paper from a teacher, they can cut those 23 steps down to five steps. And that makes it significantly easier to ensure that their papers are being put in a secure place and that they make it home and back to school effectively. 
and again, that's beneficial whether students are getting, you know, good grades or whether they're struggling. That's a key piece for most students. Then we'll take a look at how do they do on tests. I hear about test anxiety, and usually to me, test anxiety means that a student is not feeling adequately prepared for the test. Students might study for hours, but still go into that test knowing like, shoot, I don't know if I studied the right thing. Am I going to be able to interpret what the teacher's asking? You know, those are all those little subtle things that will be nagging at them, even if they have put the effort into studying. So we will look at how do you effectively prepare for tests? And then that will usually teach them a strategy to make reading textbooks much easier for them and how to take notes effectively in class. So we have a system we use, our SOAR program, which is the program you referenced earlier, SOAR Study Skills, that has a five-step sequence that it naturally leads students through. But we also do use an inventory for every student that helps us hone in on the specific areas to focus for each individual student. Because struggling or not struggling, usually students are going to be better in some areas than others. Well, that's true. You know, I mean, certainly I look at both of my children, you know, the youngest one is phenomenal with math. And it was embarrassing for a period of time until I started changing the way that I do things. But I'd be working with the older one who is three years ahead and the younger one would be answering the question. So, you know, it's just like Uh the oldest one was starting to get a little bit frustrated because her sister who's three years younger is getting the answer much quicker than she was. And so, you know, I had to separate them and then also emphasize, you know, people are good at different things. That doesn't mean that you are a bad person. That doesn't mean you're stupid. That doesn't mean anything. It's just that some things come more naturally to you than her. And then I had to just kind of flip it around. I go, she is an avid reader. You get her a book by the end of the day, she's probably finished the darn thing, you know, and it's just like, can you take me to the library? I thought I just took you to the library and we got 10 books. You know, it's just like, I've already read eight mom you know (laughs) exactly you know so I do completely understand that so it sounds like your study skill program would be really beneficial to a lot of parents and the thing that really impressed me about your system is the fact that thousands of schools across the nation so I know you're in Illinois but across the nation there are schools that are using this program so despite the fact for parents who think oh no I've got to be sitting next to my kid you know doing this particular program maybe you do but the skills that they're being taught or really kind of transferable across the nation without you actually hopping on a plane from Illinois coming out to California to deliver the program. Exactly. We actually teach classes uh, online. So we have students from all over the country that gather together through a video conference. And then we also do have the course available for video that they can watch you know, as they want. So if people want to visit our website, which is studyskills.com, they will see that we also have a bundle pack where we have our supplies and videos and books all together in one bundle. And what parents can do, parents and students actually, each have their own scorecard. They can each fill out that scorecard and you know, the student fills it out based on their own responses and the parent fills it out based on what they see as a challenge for the student. And they combine their scores and that will help them. There's a, an action plan that tells them exactly what videos and what sections of the book to read to get started. And that helped them target their greatest areas of challenge first. Perfect. So do you have any general tips or best practices for parents to help their kids have an easier time with homework? 
I think yes. homework tends to be one of those things that, you know, parents can really struggle with. And I remember when my daughter, my first daughter was going to kindergarten, her teacher was talking about, you know what, you've got to figure out how you're going to do homework. And his suggestion was that I not sit there next to my daughter, helping her do every single one. And his thinking was, you know, that's fine in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. But at, you know, fifth or sixth grade, that's when they really start to get a ton of homework. And if you've gotten into the habit, your kid can only do homework when you are sitting next to them, then you find that at the end of your day, where you've worked all day, you are now spending two or three hours sitting next to your kid doing homework. And he goes, and I've got kids who are in high school, and they're doing, you know, two or three hours for each class, you know, and he was just like, I can't spend, you know, on top of a full day, another six or seven hours sitting next to my kid doing homework. And I just kind of looked at that. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I could see that that would be a problem. So I just kind of got into the habit of, okay, here's your homework, let's sit down, let's do your homework, and I will help you if there's something you can't do. And Mm -hmm. it was funny because I know that in the beginning they really tested me on that. You know, it's just like, is mommy going to really let me kind of do my homework? Or can I enroll her in sitting next to me and doing my homework with me? You know, and I really kind of stuck to it. But I'm just kind of wondering, is there any tips or best practices? I would say that that's the best practice for me. my Mm -hmm. household because my kids they know that as soon as they get home the first thing that they do is they do homework before tv playing anything like that as opposed to some of my friends they're like they wait until they've gotten home they've eaten dinner and then they start the homework and i'm just like oh my goodness and so they're up until nine o'clock or ten o'clock with their kids Right. Well, yeah, I do have some recommendations. And, you know, it all depends, too, on how soon parents come home from work and, you know, if they can help out before dinner and so on. But really, the the guidelines I have are a little more flexible in terms of when they do homework, but it's more about setting your boundaries. Certainly, students need I believe, my biased opinion, but I I really, I think it's a fairly objective one too, that all students need the study skills to make sure that they're getting through their homework as quickly as possible. Um, A lot of times the the things that they do to tackle homework, you know, they could be cutting out a couple hours if they just knew how to do it more efficiently. But the other thing that has me concerned is that there is a growing amount of homework that is coming home with kids. And I think there needs to be some limits on that too. And that might require some parental advocacy. A general rule of thumb, and this is actually backed up by a study that Duke University released, I believe it was in 2006, on homework and effectiveness of homework, that for each grade level, 10 minutes per night. So that means first graders should have no more than 10 minutes of homework every night. Second graders, no more than 20 minutes. If you've got a 10th grader, 100 minutes. That once you get beyond that time limit of homework each evening, the effects from homework are more detrimental than positive. So if you've got a child of any age that's spending three hours a night on homework on a regular basis or even semi-regular basis, that is actually hurting more than it's helping because it's just completely depleting their motivation, depleting their energy, and there's no benefit in terms of learning that's coming from it. So that's one thing that parents should decide before they even, you know, worry about the specifics of what they're going to do with their children is what are their boundaries 
for homework. And if you find that your child is getting far more homework than that 10-minute rule suggests, then the parents really need to have conversations with the teachers and speak up and let them know that, you know, this is not right. Something is not right. My experience is that parents uh, as a group, as a whole, feel this pressure that whatever comes home from school, they have to do because that's being the positive role model. That's building responsibility. But again, if it's too much, it's too much. And teachers usually are not aware that the homework is too much. My experience is that most parents don't feel comfortable speaking up. They just suck it up and deal with it and they fight and they get miserable at home. Meanwhile, the teacher has no clue that this is a challenge. When students have more than one teacher, certainly, you know, the teachers are not really communicating with each other to coordinate the homework that's going home in most cases. And even if it's just one teacher that's assigning a lot of homework, they may have no idea how long it's taking families to do the homework at home. That was my experience as a teacher. Now, I've been teaching study skills since I was in college because I immediately started tutoring. I mean, there's never been a time in my professional life when I wasn't focused on study skills. But even when I was a classroom teacher, one time I had a parent bring to my attention how much her child was struggling, and I had no clue. I had no sign of it in school. The homework was turned in regularly. I had no idea that it was a result of hours and hours of battles with the parent at home. And based on her bringing that to my attention, I thought, you know, I wonder how many other people are in this situation because that was me with my mom when I was in school. Right. So I actually instituted a cover letter. Now this was teaching third grade, but I sent this cover letter home with homework every week asking for parent comments. And all of a sudden I started getting these comments back about, well, you know, this took a while or we, she struggled on this. And I just got all this important feedback I never had before when the homework was just turned in and I never had any idea what was happening with it at home. Right. So, you know, teachers just don't know. But there are some times when, you know, you may have to get a little firm to and put your foot down and just say, look, you know, we can only reasonably, you know, do this amount of homework and we just can't do all of this. And you might have a little bit of a tangle over it. But in the meantime, once you set your parameters on that, then in getting study skills underway is definitely a wonderful strategy. And hopefully together, the you know, appropriate amount of homework combined with strategies can make homework a much more comfortable process for everybody. Perfect. I could definitely see that. You know, I was just thinking that it was only when I went and talked to my daughter's teacher in third grade about the challenges that she was having with reading that she was able to say, okay, here's something you might be able to try. This is something that you might be able to do. Somebody suggested Mm -hmm. that reading along with a book might help her so that she could hear the words and see the Mm -hmm. words. And I know that that was a strategy that really kind of was effective, but it was only because I started to be really concerned and stepped up and said something because I was definitely one of those suck up parents. You know, (laughs) if I have to struggle, if she has to struggle, then that's Mm -hmm. just part of it. I mean, it's strange given the field that I'm in, that I felt like I had no power in talking to the teachers about what was going on at home about the homework and the struggle that we were having. Well, and you know, I've been in that position myself. Again, you know what I do for a living. And it's happened a couple of times, but very specifically, almost a year ago, it was maybe about 10 months ago, my son had a four-day weekend for the winter break, the midwinter break. And we ended up doing homework three hours a day on those four days. And we got to Sunday and I was ready to just claw my eyes out. I mean, I was so frustrated. 
and I put my head down on the counter feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm such a hypocrite. You know, look what I do for a living and why am I in this position? And then it prompted me to think, wait a minute, I've been in this position before. And usually when I take a step back and I look through my own materials, it kind of helps me get a fresh perspective. So I went and I grabbed my program for parents and I read through all these things. I thought, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And suddenly it hit me. And again, I'm sharing this train of thought because it was a good solid 10 minutes of focused concentration before I realized our problem here is simply that we have way too much homework. Mm. And now, you know, it seems obvious to me now that I'm sharing this story with you, but when you are sucked in the middle of it and it's, you know, parent and child going back and forth and, you know, you want to do the right thing by your kid, you want to teach them about responsibility for school and, but, you know, when you have all those emotions going on, it is so easy to overlook the most obvious thing. And as soon as it hit me, I said, Mark, we are done. We just put everything away. And I wrote a letter and said, we have been doing homework for 12 hours on the midwinter break. Mm -hmm. We need to be done. Mm -hmm. And then the reception I got was, oh, wow. You know, we certainly didn't intend for that. We're so sorry. You know, please, please do let us know. Right. So that's usually the response that I get. And I find if you don't get a response that's really cooperative then it's usually a sign that child's not in the right place. If you have any flexibility whatsoever about that, that might be a warning to you know find a better match. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So let me ask you, do you have any suggestions for how to handle homework for kids that are heavily scheduled with sports? I live in a town where sports are very important and extracurricular. I mean, everybody is from basically kindergarten thinking about what college their kid is going to. So they've got, you know, they've got them in orchestra and they've got them in karate and, you know, they've got a lot of stuff going on. And so, you know, when is the kid supposed to do any homework? Do you have any kind of suggestions for that? Sure. Um, The first thing I would say is just regarding extracurricular activities, make sure that they are, are being pursued because they're of interest to the child. That's really critical for just overall motivation. And that dramatically transfers into motivation for school because if a child is struggling in school at any level, and and most kids, regardless of whether they struggle or not, they just don't care for school. And then if they're spending a lot of time in activities that are not really of interest to them and don't allow them to get some downtime, that's going to just completely deplete their energy for school. So there's a direct relationship, even though, you know, this seems like they're separate things. But okay, let's say the child's involved in a lot of extracurricular activities because they want to be doing that. Then the next thing is, of course, study skills. Uh, And I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but when they learn how to read a textbook strategically, when they learn how to do their homework strategically, one of the things we cover in study skills is how to take advantage of the five-minute downtime periods that happen all the time during school. You know, at the beginning of every class, a teacher has to take attendance I mean, then there's usually some downtime when teachers are passing out papers, you know, waiting for morning announcements and you, you name it. You probably all told there's at least an hour of downtime every day in school. And I'm dramatically underestimating that. So, you know, we, we will teach them how to take advantage of those times because they can break up what they're doing into very small chunks and get through homework a little more quickly that way. And then again, we'll focus on looking at their schedule and figuring out how they can put in little chunks during their breaks in between practices and so forth. But of course, our first goal is just getting through the homework more quickly and then where they can plunk it into their schedule. But I also find it's about prioritizing. 
one of the activities that we do in our program, this is something that I think a lot of people have heard this analogy or this comparison before, is we'll take a jar, a glass jar, and we will fill it with rocks. And then when we can't fill it with any more rocks, then we'll add some pebbles. And when we can't fill it with any more pebbles, then we will add water. And whenever possible, I will actually do this physical demonstration in front of students. And we talk about what that means in terms of prioritizing. The big rocks are their big responsibilities, the things they have to take care of first. The pebbles are the things that are still important, but have to be addressed secondary. So big rocks will include their physical health and well-being, getting proper sleep, proper nutrition. Also includes school obligations and possibly any, you know, church or religious obligations. And then those pebbles will be those extracurricular activities. And the point of this whole activity is showing the students that when you take care of the big things first, you automatically have space for the smaller things. Small doesn't mean insignificant because extracurricular is still very significant, but it comes after taking care of school responsibilities. And we build our study skills program on that, that we're going to make time for these pebble things, but we have to make sure we know what our priorities are. That's extremely helpful to help students make decisions about their time. Yeah, because I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and their kid was one of those heavily scheduled kids and was not doing well in school. And I remember I was growing up, it sometimes to me, it seems like parents have kind of reversed things like the extracurricular activities sometimes seem to take priority over mm. schoolwork. And, and, you know, that's just my own biased opinion, as you were saying earlier. But I do find that sometimes parents will make those choices. But I remember when I was growing up, my mother was just like, look, first thing is school, you know, your job is to be a student. So mm. that's what you need to concentrate on. Whether or not you're in football, cheerleading, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. is something that happens after school. So for her, she was like, you don't get to do cheerleading if your grades are not what they need to be you mm-hmm. know and that was just an understanding in my house if for whatever reason I decided that I was going to start bringing home C's and I was in cheerleading then cheerleading would have to go so that the C's could be brought up to something that would be more mm-hmm. acceptable in my house but right. I do find sometimes parents will make other choices than that and I always wonder why they do that you know in my mind but right and you know I absolutely thought the same thing. I I couldn't tell you how many times as a teacher when I had students come to me and say, well, I couldn't get this done because I had, you know, ice skating last night or whatever. And I'm talking third grade when the kids had a week to do their homework, it would kind of baffle my mind. But yeah, I really want to emphasize though, when I say prioritizing, yes, I want the students to know, you know, when you do take care of these obligations, you, you do make the time for the other stuff. But I also really want them to have that sense of balance because there are so many students who just will never find school easy. The study skills certainly will help them be much more successful than they've been in the past. But for those kids that where the language and the mathematical intelligences are not their strengths, even with study skills, school is just not a place where they are going to feel their best self. Okay. And those kids are really going to need something that fuels their motivation and fuels their energy. And so extracurricular is important for that. And downtime is important for that. So, you know, if I see a student who is trying, you know, is demonstrating that they care about school and they're just struggling to get the grades that 
might seem acceptable to others, but they're really putting forth effort. I really don't want to be taking something, you know, some extracurricular away from them. But, you know, this is a, it's a difficult call because I know I might sound like I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth, but this is where, where parents, you know, they know their child best. And I think the general rule is, are you putting forth the effort to do your best in school? And if the effort is there, the work ethic is there, you know, then I would want to see the extracurricular continue. But if the extracurricular is preventing the work ethic, then that's time to say, wait, we need to pull the plug because you need to refocus your priorities. Well, you know, I I think, you know, some of the opinions that I have formed were formed prior to having kids. You know, I I completely agreed with my mother about that prior to having kids. But, you know, I do have to understand and remember that school is not for every kid. I mean, it was even a difficult transition for me, even doing what I do. You know, my emphasis is on kids going to college, but the reality is not every student who is out there is going to go to college or going to go right into college. And I need to recognize and acknowledge that and have some sort of alternate path. And I think it's much easier for me to do now that I have kids and see that. Because I remember having those conversations with, you know, my girlfriends. None of us have a kid. And all of us were (laughs) just saying, well, you know, I never understood how kids who grew up in the same house could be so very different. Now that Mm -hmm. I have kids, (laughs) I understand. It's not a factor of your parenting. It's more a factor of the kid. And you have to kind of honor that. Absolutely. I have a friend who very tragically lost her 18-month-old daughter about seven or eight months ago. And as I personally was trying to channel through that grief on my friend's behalf, the whole series of you know thoughts kind of came into play. And really the lesson I learned from that is that, you know, what was baby Kenley was her name? What was Kenley's purpose on this on this earth? You know, I believe everybody has a purpose. And she was here for such a short time. What do I take from an 18-month-old? And I realized it's her spirit. You know, at 18 months, she was nothing but a bundle of curiosity and joy and love and just trying to figure out her world. And that spirit within her really exists in all of us. But by the time students get to school age, a lot of times that unbridled spirit is sequestered or, you know, it, it takes a backseat to school being so important. Right. And, and that, that lesson really has stood out, has transformed what I even write about with my weekly newsletter and so on, because I see it more and more that we can still nurture our students to be good learners, but let's do it while celebrating that spirit, you know, that 18 month old within each of them, instead of doing it in spite of. Right. Right. And I can, I can completely agree. And I remember um, reading that particular newsletter where you talked about how you were really kind of struggling with that. And I remember just coming home and hugging my kids and just saying, you know what, we're going to just kind of enjoy ourselves a little bit more. You know, mommy can get kind of caught up in the work thing and you guys can get caught up in the school thing and soccer mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Let's just enjoy ourselves. You know, and I know that yesterday we did something we don't normally do. We have a Friday activity where it's all about family, but we don't usually have any other day of the week that's really Mm -hmm. about that. It's often about the mechanics. Okay, let's Mm -hmm. do some homework and let's eat some dinner. You know, maybe everybody kind of does a little bit of relaxation. But I said, let's just play some games, you know, let's just Mm -hmm. play a game of cards. And so we played cards. And so I just found, you know, us laughing 
in the middle right. of the week. I mean, it sounds really kind of silly, but, you know, I mean, we right. were laughing in the middle of the week. Whereas I kind of think of the laughing thing is a Saturday, Sunday, possibly Friday night <laughs> thing. You know, so it's it's a matter of just honoring and understanding that the time that we have with our children is really precious. And we really just need to honor that. So yes, let me just, well, I'm glad to hear that. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. Let me just ask last couple of questions. So mm -hmm. one of the things that parents are frequently dealing with in terms of study skills is how they can help their child as they grow year by year. You know, if they've got 10 minutes of homework in kindergarten mm -hmm. and basically 120 minutes of homework in 12th grade, how do you foster study skills as the kids progress through their career? It's an excellent question. And what I find is generally up to about third grade, the homework really is sort of the parents' homework too, which I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's just the way it seems to be. So there is a lot of side-by-side -side time from kindergarten through third grade. I think, though, that once you hit middle, second grade and definitely going into third grade, pulling back on that supervision is certainly helpful if if that's at all possible. I encourage parents to sit down with their own homework, whether it's like reading that you want to do or paying bills or whatever your own homework is and sit side by side. But encourage them particularly, like I said, during that, you know, once you hit the midway point through second grade and into third, encourage them to do most of their problem solving. The sitting side by side is a, an effort in focus, you know. But then from fourth grade on, as a general rule, and again, every child is a little bit different, the child should be able to do their homework without a whole lot of supervision. And if they're not able to, that's an indication that there might be something else going on. Um, ADHD is something that is very common. You know, that some people say it's overdiagnosed. I believe it's actually underdiagnosed. Um, and it's harder to detect in girls because most girls are not hyperactive the way, you know, a, a hyperactive ADHD boy is going to stand out really clearly. But that's something to take a look at. If they're really struggling to do homework on their own, then just screen for that. Be mindful of it. But also communicate with teachers about what's happening. And again, then that fourth grade point is also a good transition time to be teaching them study skills and teaching them how they can be reading their textbook more efficiently and how they can be using their notes from school and, and things like that. So that's a good time as they're taking on more independence with their work. That's the time to start introducing. And I find sixth grade is the time that they really benefit from study skills the most for that transition from elementary to middle school. You know, I could see that that would be really, really helpful because let me tell you, the difference between the homework in fifth grade and sixth grade was... <laughs> phenomenal <laughs> yes. you know I, yes. I could not believe the difference between fifth grade and sixth grade and my daughter happens to have a teacher that is considered one of the hardest for sixth mm. grade and what everybody has said is that she does a really good job of teaching you what the level of work that you're going to have to get in seventh grade here mm -hmm. in California and I was amazed at you know like multiple projects that were due with overlapping deadlines I just remember before everything ended and then mm -hmm. uh, something else started but now she's got <laughs> stuff that you know I, I she's given at the beginning of the school year she had a science fair project and when I was growing up the science fair project was done by the nerdy kids okay but in this particular school 
science fair is done by everybody. And so she yep. had to come up with a thesis and she had to have a binder and she had to have mm-hmm. a thesis statement and she had to have a, I could not believe it just lasted forever. The parents, there was a group of parents and I, we were all talking about, okay, it was turned in today. We're going to have a party tonight, okay? <laughs> because right. we had spent so much time, you know, helping them manage that whole thing. But I have to right. tell you, I really had to tell my daughter, I am so proud of you because in years past, this would have been done at the last minute. But she was one of those kids that was really just finished around mm-hmm. the same time she was supposed to be so that she had time to really put it together, put the finishing touches on it, and really just make it a very fine presentation that she was proud to present and deliver and say that this is what she had done. But the difference between the two, between fifth grade and sixth grade, was like night and day. Yes, I certainly see that in my clients. You know, the, the pattern is definitely there. And what is frustrating to me, with particularly with what I do, is when that workload increases, what does not happen is the students are not taught how to manage all those different deadlines. And it then becomes parent homework again, where you as the parent are directing, you know, okay, what's due next? Do you have this? You know, And it's challenging even for a parent to do, you know, because you've got your own life too, but now you're managing this full course load for your child. So I like to see, you know, through the study skills, that transfer of responsibility over to the students. So when they do have that volume of work, they also have a system in place for keeping track of their deadlines and knowing what's due next and, and how to tackle those bigger projects in smaller chunks. Okay. So, Susan, we're reaching the end of our, our session, and it's been phenomenal from my particular standpoint. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Well, yeah, what I would like to share is what comes from teaching our kids how to learn and how to organize is a sense of confidence that will last them for the rest of their life. So, you know, we are talking about being successful in school, but this directly translates to the rest of their life. For me personally, I use my study skills every single day. And had I not had that experience in college of learning how to learn, I wouldn't have had the confidence to take on the project of writing my book or developing my business, which now we've got several employees and, you know, we've really grown. But it all stems from my ability to use study skills this day to learn the new software I need to learn, to learn, you know, all the different pieces of managing a business, to prioritizing my time. And whenever I do presentations, because I will do presentations for parents and students together, and Every single time I do a live presentation, I will have a handful of parents come up to me afterwards and say, I'm going to take this stuff to the workplace because I can use what I've learned here in my job or for running my own business or whatever. So the applications for what these strategies will do for students last them a lifetime and also not only last a lifetime, but they build their confidence in giving them the, you know, the belief that they can tackle anything they want to because they have the strategies for learning it, organizing it, and managing it. Excellent. So if somebody was interested in learning more about the uh, SOAR learning system, could you tell us how they would get a hold of you and get your program? Yes, certainly. Our website is studyskills.com. And on our webpage, on our homepage, you will find a, a little box where you can request our free resource, which is Six Steps to Conquer the Chaos. It's how to organize and motivate students for success. 
So you can just go ahead and request that guide right from our homepage. But you'll also find that we have several articles available for students, parents, and teachers, if we have any teachers listening. And then we also have products available. Like I mentioned, we have our, our classes and our value bundles that will allow you to um, take our supplies and our videos and implement strategies right away based on your greatest areas of need. Absolutely. So that sounds absolutely fabulous because as you were talking, I have to tell you, I have a really good girlfriend whose daughter is in junior and high school. You were saying things like, I saw my daughter do the homework, but it never got turned in. And I was thinking about this particular student as you were saying some of the things, because a lot of the things that you were saying that students do are things that I've heard her and talk about her daughter doing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like she's going to a school where she is required to do certain things and she doesn't do them but she leaves the house so my friend's friend is like you know down the line a month or two she finds out that her daughter is not able to do something because she hasn't been doing this but she's been leaving the house like she's been doing it so I you know I'm definitely uh, looking forward to sharing this particular podcast with her because I think that it can make a huge difference to her I have a couple of the questions I wanted to ask you if you've got time And they're all about homework, you know, so I Mm -hmm. had a question about homework helper sites. I wanted to ask questions about how homework and discipline such as math reading has changed, how to deal with generalized anxiety, and if you had any tips for keeping anxiety levels low. Do you have time to answer those three questions? Yeah, I do. And I'll tell you the homework helper sites... There's one resource I would recommend for just general productivity on the computer. But other than that, I'm not terribly keyed in with with specific homework helper sites. I more focus on, you know, the strategies for doing homework rather than the actual sites available to help with that. Okay. But I, I can still address the one productivity piece. Okay. So, Susan, are there any productivity sites or sites out there that you might recommend that are in addition to your study skills website that can help families who are dealing with uh, study skills and that sort of issue? Sure. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is a website called coldturkey.com. And what Cold Turkey is, it's actually a site that one of my uh, instructors, uh, one of my SOAR teachers, uses when she's on the computer to just help her stay focused on whatever she's doing and block out the temptation to go to Facebook or other things that might be distracting. So that's a question I get a lot from parents is how they can keep their child on task when they're on the computer. And the computer is a massive temptation for all of us. Even the most disciplined adult is going to struggle. So cold turkey is a great resource to look at to just force some productivity when your child's using the computer. As far as other sites are concerned, I don't have a whole lot of input to share with you, but one thing I would encourage parents to be aware of is look out for things that make the learning process more complicated than necessary. That's generally my pet peeve with a lot of things that call themselves study skills is they're really just complicated, just a complicated mess of things that students are supposed to do that complicate the whole process and and don't really make it easily accessible for students to use. Yeah. That would seem to be counterintuitive to what it is that the students are really looking for and really need. Exactly, exactly. We as adults have a tendency to complicate things for them. (laughs) You know, I always wonder because the Internet is a beautiful thing and then it's also not. Uh, You know, and sometimes when we go to look for information to help our kids, I wonder sometimes whether or not we are 
adding to their stress level and anxiety by implementing this new thing that we just read about on the internet, or are we helping? But definitely one of the things that I've heard uh, students talk about a lot is anxiety around tests. Can you talk to me about the difference between generalized anxiety and test anxiety? Well, as far as generalized anxiety goes, I think that's pretty common amongst students who really don't have any idea how to be successful in school. You know, they're just kind of shooting from the hip with everything they do. So learning how to navigate school in general, of course, that's what we do with study skills, does a tremendous amount to reduce anxiety because it gives them a greater sense of control. And that's my opinion, and I should say my observations of students, is that the more they feel lack of control, the more anxiety fills in the gap. Um, okay. As far as test anxiety is concerned, they usually go together, but specifically test anxiety is a sign of not feeling prepared for a test. So certainly students can benefit from learning how to prepare for tests and you know what they can do to hone in on most important points and show up to that test feeling like they are prepared and that they can do a very good job. And then, of course, learning how to cope with anxiety as they go through the test. You know, if you get stuck on a question, skip over it. Come back to it. Make sure you highlight it so you don't forget it altogether. But, you know, better to skip one than to get stuck early on and, and miss all the others after. Oftentimes, other questions on the test will answer a question for you that you're stuck on. I mean, usually there's hints buried later on in further questions. So how to make a decision about a multiple choice test when, when you really have no idea. You know, so some of those little tips, too, can be helpful for students. But ultimately, the best cure for test anxiety is just feeling uh, confidently prepared. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's funny because as I've spent time with my kids getting them ready for tests, even, you know, multiple choice tests and stuff like that, there is a expectation because of what they've been taught that they have to go through the test the way that it is. And mm -hmm. so, I, you know, oftentimes I find that my daughter is stuck and she'll spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes on a problem. And I'm just like, just skip it. Yes. You understand that, you know, nobody other than you knows that you are right. struggling with this. Just skip it. Go to the next one. Sometimes, as you were saying, there will be a hint in the next one that will release something in your mind that will mm -hmm. make you be able to answer that question. And then some of them are just going to be questions that you don't know, don't can't answer. And it's right. okay. But right. I think that they've been taught to go through things sequentially. And it's something that I had to really kind of struggle with my daughter. And I remember what I was doing one time was just jumping all over the page. You know, I was we were working with something and we were just jumping all over the page. And she was so uncomfortable with it. But I was just like, there's nothing that says that you have to answer these questions sequentially. They're laid out sequentially, but there's nothing that says that you have to answer it this way. And so I find that she's still a little reluctant, but she's now like, okay, mommy, I skipped this one and this is the one I need help with. I've answered everything that I know how to answer and this is the one I don't need. This is the one I need help in. And so what I find is I only have to look at one of her answers as opposed to looking at all of them because she's confident that she's answered the other ones um, mm -hmm. accurately. 
Yeah. And, and what you're describing about her being reluctant is, again, very, very common. I, I deal with it. Even myself as an adult, sometimes I'll find myself going through some of my professional stuff feeling a little stuck. And I even have that natural resistance to skip. You know, I have to remind myself of what I teach my students, you know, take my own advice. But usually the reluctance comes from a lot of training of following directions, but mostly it's about they're afraid they will forget it and they don't want to let go of it. So I will teach them to, when they skip over something, circle it, whether it's on their answer sheet or if they can actually write on the test, circle it. And also put that question number at the top of their test and circle that. And then I also coach students whenever they take a test that when they are done, they go back and they review. They should always review. As long as time allows, they should always review. And then they can, they'll catch that question they've missed when they go back in the review. Worst case, they'll stand up to go turn the test in. And then as they pick up their paper, they'll see that question at the top that they've circled or the couple questions they've circled. And then that will serve as a reminder. So if we can give them some things to help them feel confident that they'll remember to go back to it, that will do a lot to remove their anxiety. Absolutely. It's funny that you should say that because that's certainly something that I've done. But again, the way that they've been trained in a classroom, <laughs> my daughter is reluctant to put any marks on her piece of paper. I was just right. like, who's going to see it other than you? And, you know, and right. then they, right. she puts the number up there and then we spend 10 minutes erasing it so that there's a big hole in the uh, piece of paper <laughs> because she didn't want the teacher to know that she had something that she didn't know how to do initially. But it's a strange <laughs> world that we both work in. And I yeah. really just thank you for the time that you spent with me today. You know, the question that I want to just leave you with is, is it too late at any point to learn and benefit from study skills? Absolutely not. I actually, last month I was coaching someone who I believe is about 42 on study skills for his job and also for a standardized test that he was required to take in the financial industry. So, you know, I'm working with 42 year olds and then I'll turn around and work with 14-year-olds. So it's never too late. Uh, in fact, tomorrow my husband will be flying off to North Carolina and driving back with my 20-year-old cousin who's going to be moving in with us to uh, do an internship, but specifically to learn skills because school has been a struggle for him, a lifetime struggle, and we want to turn that ship around for him. You know, he's, I think he's completed two years in college now. So, you know, all ages can benefit. As young as fourth and fifth grade is really a time to start introducing them to students and then you know, right on through to uh, college, grad school. I use these study skills to get myself through college and to get through grad school. So it applies all over. Absolutely. Well, great. Thank you very much for being on the phone call, Susan. I've uh, very much enjoyed having you join me and learning a little bit more about your company and how it helps struggling students and high achieving students learn how to develop their study skills to excel in the classroom. I think that certainly I know that I learned a lot from being here and talking with you, and I'm sure that my audience is going to agree. So okay. if you're somebody who has gotten a lot of benefit from this particular podcast, I invite you to go to our iTunes channel and rate it, and we would really appreciate your comments on the iTunes page or on the show notes page of this interview, because I think that we've shared some really invaluable information. And again, Susan, I thank you. Well, thank you. I hope everyone will uh, come on over to studyskills.com and check out what we can offer. 
great. And I want to thank all of my listeners for joining us today and hope that you will join me again for the next installment of the College Expert Talk podcast. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast.